Welcome again to Our Street, uh, Lynn Fisher, with my buddy Kurt Elder, as always. Kurt, how have you been? I, I'm doing well. It's a beautiful fall, and uh, I'm getting things done. So uh, I am I am I am two for two so far. Very good. Well, this is a continuation of our our traditional interview candidates before the uh, before the general election coming up November the eighth. I believe it's the eighth. Today we have with us Sarah Slattery. Sarah is running for legislature district number two. Is that right, Sarah? That's right. So welcome to the show. I know it's the first time you've been on that I know of. And, it is. Uh, so thanks for coming on. And so first of all, tell our listeners, if you would please, about yourself, where you're from, and and how you came to, to uh, get to the point of running for the legislature. But just give us some background first, if you could. Sure. So um, I am a professional chef and single mom. I am. I live in Plattsmouth, Nebraska, which is the complete opposite end of the district from uh, the Lincoln part, but it's a pretty vast district. But I, I'm really excited um, to have the Lincoln and Lancaster parts in that district since redistricting. Um, I've met some really great folks when I've been out canvassing and, and organizing and stuff. And I just I really am grateful to have that part of the district. Um, so I grew up in Plattsmouth, uh, 15 years ago, I opened a vineyard and wine tasting room with my folks out in rural Cass County. It's called Slattery Vintage Estates Vineyard and Tasting Room. I'm the professional chef there. Um, that's, yeah, that's where I'm a chef. Uh, we are kind of a agritourism destination. Um, we do live music events. We have glamping, uh, we're a wedding venue. Um, we've got a wine tasting room, so I get to do all kinds of fun, creative stuff with my cooking there. Um, I've got a 12-year-old seventh-grade daughter. She goes to um, a small Catholic, the small Catholic school in Plattsmouth, which is the same school that I went to growing up, um, and my dad. So, kind of a legacy thing there. And up until the end of last school year, I was the school nutrition director there, which is just a really fancy phrase for uh, lunch lady. Um, and, and I, uh, I, I resigned that position at the end of the year because one of the pieces of my platform is, um, improving school nutrition for kids across the state. So I gave up that job that I really loved in hopes that I can get elected and improve, um, the meals for all the kids in Nebraska. So, uh, yeah, a few years ago, I went in there with my professional chef knowledge and expertise and brought back a bunch of, um, scratch cookery, brought in a fresh fruit and vegetable bar, totally revamped the program. Um, and just saw a huge improvement in the satisfaction of the kids and the lives of the, the families that, and then a couple of years ago, they didn't, they, uh, with the pandemic, the federal government started uh, providing universal school meals for all kids. And they did that for two years. And I got to see firsthand just how incredible that was for the working families to not have to worry about packing the lunches or paying for the lunch bill. Um, it's just, you know, one one less thing off your to-do list and it, and it made such an impact um, in the lives and experience of the kids. So um, yeah, that's kind of what, what got me into running was I, I saw how much of an impact that makes and it's not really something that's discussed a lot and it's not something that I think, you know, folks in the legislature have a lot of experience with. Um, the impact of food on the, the bodies and minds of kids in school and how amazing it is. And it's it's such a low cost endeavor um, with a high reward that it's, I would love to look into ways that we can um, 
universally feed kids in Nebraska since the federal government is not doing it uh, as of this year. So. So tell us, first of all, the district, is it all of Cass County and part of Lancaster? Yes. So it's all of Cass County and then it's uh, Lancaster into Lincoln to 84th Street um, from Alvo Road on the north to Van Dorn Street on the south. And then there's like a little 70th from A to Van Dorn Street little block extra too. So um, yeah, so we've got, you know, a, a little bit of of Lincoln and a, and a lot of those um, really nice housing developments that are outside of Lincoln on the east side. So. Well, so tell us about your campaign. What have you, have you been out knocking on doors? Yeah, so I have, and I've got, I've got canvassers doing the Lincoln part for me since it's not so, um, you know, since it's, it's kind of far for me. And I, the thing about my candidacy and my campaign is I'm the working class candidate. I'm one of the only ones um, running right now. Uh, so I actually still have to work <laughs> while, while my campaign's going on, which I know a lot of folks, you know, take a sabbatical from, from their jobs or whatever so that they can focus on their campaign. And I don't have that luxury. So uh, that's why I'm right now in the car. Um, after we get off of this interview, I have to run into Restaurant Depot and finish my shopping list because I'm feeding 50 people for a rehearsal dinner tonight and 200 people for a wedding tomorrow. Um, so, yeah, so, but in, I've got a really great team. I've got canvassers out in Lincoln. I've got people that are um, doing these small rural towns uh, in, in Cass County for me. And we're also doing texting and handwritten postcards and things like that, just so we can um, try and get a, as many different contacts with as many folks as we can um, in this short amount of time that we have left. But I've, and I've done parades and I, I did both county fairs. Um, so yeah, every opportunity I've had to go out and meet meet voters and constituents and and get to know them and, and their concerns, I've absolutely taken it, and I love um, getting to meet and talk with people and see what's important to them. So, so Sarah, what have you found from your uh, potential constituents there? What's what surprises you? What kind of issues or or uh, topics have surprised you as you've learned about uh, what people are interested in? Well, so the biggest thing I think across the board. Um, is how really, really tired of this hyper-partisanship people are. They are so tired of this extreme um, rhetoric and, and just kind of vile from, from either side. I think that, you know, we people are, are really longing to get back to that place where the unicameral is truly nonpartisan, where we actually work together and, and actually get things done instead of this team versus this team and I'm going to block your stuff and you're going to block my stuff. And that's, uh, that really just harms everyday Nebraskans and, and they're feeling it now and they notice and they're, and they're tired of it just like I am. Well, what, uh, what are the common uh, issues that you think would, uh, you know, fall across the political aisle, both sides? What, what are the things that people in common are interested in? Oh, uh, well, you know, the, my main thing that I talk about is, is hot lunch and you'd be surprised at how many people um agree that yeah feeding kids is a, a definitely a value and something that we should invest our public funds in um because it has you know so many effects not just on them currently but it, it if if they are guaranteed a hot meal um it's one less burden on the, the families so the folks can you know focus on other things and and 
spend more time with their kids. Um, the kids are going to be more likely to stay in school. They're going to do better in school because they're not thinking about when's the next time I'm going to eat or they're not, you know, distracted because they're hungry. Uh, so that has actually uh, gotten a lot, a lot of really positive um, response from everyone because, you know, the, the kids are our future. And, and if we can take care of them in, in this this little small way, um, but it would make such a big difference that, yeah, I, I'm, I've got a lot of people on board with that. Um, and then other issues uh, like right now, we're, we're facing some water crises in our state um, on several fronts. Like uh, there's a little village in my district called Alvo. They've had contaminated water for, I don't even know how long. And they're having to put chlorine in their water to make it potable, but then the amount of chlorine burns the kids when they take baths. So uh, that's an issue that, you know, and there's not a, it's that Elba's not a ton of um, people. It's 140 people, but I think that that is just kind of like water is such a, such a necessity. Um, so I try to talk about that and what's going on there to everybody that I can, that I talk to, because if it can happen there, it can happen anywhere. And water is our, yeah, our most precious resource. And then on the other um, end of the spectrum, you look at the Platte River in the middle of the state or lack of river. Um, so, you know, that that's some climate issues. And the, the farmers in the western part of the state are losing their crops because we've had such a drought this year. So water is a really big, um, important topic to a lot of people. And it, and it should be because we can't live without without water. So. You know, I think a lot of it comes down to also process as well. <clears throat> That's what makes our legislature so unique is that every bill gets a hearing and that there's, you know, often questions asked when people come and testify and they have a position, all those positions are, are then heard and then they're, then they're evaluated. I used to work for a uh, state senator myself and he had a uh, general rule that if he got more than 15 letters on the same topic, he would really look at an issue. You know, so many people will try to get your time for all kinds of things. What's your benchmark for knowing when an issue is really an issue? Yeah, uh, you know, uh, that's something that I'll have to. Um, this is so this is my first foray into anything political. So I don't have that kind of expertise. So that is something I would definitely um, look to the more senior senators and the ones that have experience and, and see what their policies are. Um, and maybe adopt something like that. But yeah, I, I think 15 letters on the same topic is a pretty good foundation for, and nowadays when the, you can do, um, you know, emails and phone calls and letter, like there's so many more avenues for, for constituents to get a hold of you. Uh, I think, yeah, obviously, yeah, I think 15 would be a good, a good start. Um, there we go. Yeah. yeah. So, so, with, so I know that, you know, well, I gotta say, like, I know, like, I know, but I've never ran for legislature, so I don't know this, but but I believe, how about that? I believe that running for legislature takes a lot of time, effort, and energy. And I know that you said that you have your own job on the day, you're, you're a mom, you're doing this, and you have volunteers, but yet you're doing a lot of knocking and walking. Just as Lynn had said earlier, that's your hearing thing. Oftentimes, that's also a chance for you to educate your potential persons about how things really work. What are some of the biggest misconceptions that people are sharing with you that you're having to correct? Well, there's so many people that maybe have heard the word unicameral, but they don't actually know what that means. Um, and, and they also aren't aware that, because you look at the federal government and there are 
hundreds of of representatives and a um, hundred senators, and I mean there are hundreds and hundreds of people making these laws, and in every other state that has a a bicameral has hundreds and hundreds of people, um, and they are a lot of people are blissfully unaware that there are only forty nine people in this state that make all of the laws, and so the gravity of these elections and and ensuring that you have got a person that is going to fight for your interests um, in that office is is so much more important than it is in any other state. Um, and then I also like to educate them on uh, the reason why it's so important to elect a working class individual because we don't have representation in the in the unicameral because the pay is twelve thousand dollars a year. You get twelve thousand dollars. You have to, if you were a working person, you would have to take four or five months off of your job, and most people are not going to be able to return after four months and still have a job. So it's set up to keep regular working folks out and it's set up to keep, you know, kind of more independently wealthy folks that can afford to do it um, that are either retired or they've got a spouse that makes a lot of money or um, or whatever the case. But, you know, somebody that can that can take four months and, and earn twelve thousand dollars and it's not really going to affect their life. Um, and, and in so doing, then we aren't represented. And so our interests are not being put push to the front because we're not there to speak up for ourselves. So I do like to talk to people about how important it is to have accurate representation um, socioeconomically, gender, along gender lines. We, you know, there's only 26% women in the legislature and we're 51% of the population. And we need to have, um, you know, all age demographics represented as well. We need more young people. We need more parents. Um, of young kids, because when we're deciding on what we're going to do about kids in schools, we need to have folks that have kids in school at the table making these decisions. So, uh, yeah, I like to educate folks on just why it's so important that somebody like me is running. Um, I'm very lucky that I have this family business self-employed and we're largely seasonal that I can take four months a year. Um, I can't necessarily afford it, but I'm willing to take the hit because I think it's very, very important that we get represented. Um, and like I always try to tell them, I did a year of AmeriCorps um, and I built Habitat for Humanity houses and I got $11,000 for that entire year and I managed to still survive. And so I'm not afraid to, to live below the poverty level again in order to help everyone else thrive. Thanks for everybody hanging in there for the first half of the show. We're gonna take a short break and we'll be back and continue our conversation with Sarah Slattery running for District 2 at the state legislature. So hang in there, we'll be right back. Welcome back, Lynn Fisher and Kurt Elder here having a conversation with Sarah Slattery, who's running for uh, legisl legislative district number two, which is a little new to Lincoln. It's uh, just on the Eastern edge of Lincoln and goes through uh, the rest of the Lancaster County, that direction over in the in Cass County. Uh, Kurt, you've got a question to start off the second half here with uh, Sarah. Go ahead. Yeah, I do. You know, so in the first half, first half, we asked about what are you hearing? What are you learning? X, Y, Z. And that really helps, uh, I think, form which committee that a senator wants to serve on. Because, you know, if you want to be on the committee that best serves the interests of those people that you're representing. So the question to you, Sarah, would be there's a number of different standing committees, uh, whether it be agriculture, revenue, health and human services, education, blah, 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 business and labor. Is there an interest 
have you identified which committee you would like to serve on? And if you have, why that one? Well, um, so, you know, I'm fully aware that as a, as a brand new Senator, you don't really get a lot of say so in where you get placed. Um, so I will, I will go wherever, wherever I'm needed or wherever I'm placed. Um, but obviously based on the demographics of my, uh, district and my platform, you know, education is of some interest. Agriculture is obviously of some interest. There are quite a few, um, you know, independent family farms in my, in, uh, the rural parts of district two that, uh, need some support, um, but then also like the judiciary is of interest to me. So my dad, my father has been the public defender for Cass County for the last 30 years. He's retiring um, at the end of his term, this this term. Um, but in watching him and his career, I've learned so much about, about what the criminal justice system looks like um, from a public defender standpoint. Um, and, there's, and we've obviously got this uh, prison overcrowding epidemic in our state that's going on right now and we need to figure out ways to address this and you know one of the things that we could do um, would be to pull back those mandatory minimum sentencing requirements that um, force judges to to give everybody the same sentence regardless of the the nature of the case um, and then give some of that discretion and back to the judges who have the expertise in that area that would help um, with some of the issues and then um, I've got other ideas about you know, nonviolent crimes and things like that, um, rehabilitation, you know, and transitional programs. And uh, obviously investing in education helps keep people out of prison later. Um, so those kind of go hand in hand. But yeah, I've got a lot of ideas for our um, our prison epidemic that's going on right now uh, that I think I could be helpful with that. Um, but yeah, again, you know, I, anywhere that they, anywhere they put me, I will do my best because I'm a lifelong learner and I will learn what it takes to do that job, no matter what it is. You know, candidates often have a number of endorsements, supporters on the websites or platforms always talk about their issues. And the issues that you have on your site would be small business, education, school nutrition, as you have said so far, healthcare and workers' rights. Can you tell me more about your workers' rights piece? I wanna learn more about that. Yeah, well, so um, I, firmly believe that if you work 40 hours a week, you should not be living below the poverty level. I think that um, we need to, and, and we've got that that $15 ballot initiative, that that will make huge strides to uh, rectifying that situation. But making sure that people are paid appropriately at their jobs so that they don't have to um, rely on a second job, which then gives them more time at home, which then you know, gives them a better relationship with their kids, which then maybe keeps their kids out of prison. Like these things are all interrelated. Um, but then also, you know, not not losing your job if you or a family member gets sick. Um, we need to do better with uh, family leave and things like that. I think we could do better with um, maternity and, and paternity leave um, because, you know, getting, getting it right, right when your child is born um, and establishing that routine and, and feeling supported. I think that that makes for the parenting journey to be a lot easier. Um, so yeah, all of these kinds of things. And, and then of course, obviously, if you look at my endorsement list, I support, um, unions and collective bargaining and, and, and workers rights in that way too. So the reason I bring some of that up is that it's your opponent has a different set of issues. And I think that there's some agreement that, you know, growing the economy is always a good thing. 
um, you know, right sizing, state priorities, his priorities and your priorities will probably be, be different. We've heard some of yours. Um, but one of his is uh, defending innocent life. He's, I, I would assume he would be a uh, pro-life uh, suspect. I'm just wondering how you would follow into that camp. Um, so I think that we already have legislation on the books um, in regard to reproductive rights. I think that that uh, doesn't need to be legislated further. And if we're talking about being pro-life and uh, one, you know, being pro-life also includes um, things like feeding kids. Uh, it includes things like making sure kids can go to school without getting shot. Um, so, you know, the I think that the, the, the quote pro-life gets so focused on um, birth and not anything birth. after that. Um, and I think that we need to do better taking care of the people that are in our communities um, and really stay out of the exam rooms of, of people and their doctors, no matter what decision is being made. Um, because there's a separation of church and state in this country and we need to keep it that way. So that's where I stand on that. But, you know, to be clear, my opponent um, in the last couple sessions voted against expanding SNAP benefits during the pandemic. That's not very pro-life. That's, you know, poor people need to eat. He uh, voted against um, helping survivors of sexual assault. How's that pro-life? So, you know, I'd argue that that he's not real pro-life, but more um, pro-birth. And I don't think that that's uh, a super great way to build a community and, and trust in your community. So. All right. No. Thank you for that answer. Yeah. You didn't get anything that's, that's burning in your mind? Well, um, I guess... Sarah, you mentioned uh, education. Um, hot school lunches is something that you would probably be interested in proposing a piece of legislation or two about. What other what other issues you mentioned? Uh, you know, criminal justice with your background from your family. Uh, do you have any specific legislation that you uh, you know have in mind, or are you waiting to uh, get elected first? Yeah, I mean, I suppose again, like I'm. I'm a newbie to all of this, so I would definitely partner with some more experienced um, senders and some of the, the you know folks that have worked in the legislature and bill writing and things like that for years. Um, I've got ideas, um, but then putting those into things that that make sense as a as a legislation um, that'll have to come later. But again, like I said, figuring out ways to subsidize school meals, figuring out ways we can kind of switch back from that mandatory minimum sentencing. Those would be a couple of specific things that I would go for at first I thought about the school funding issue property taxes those are those are the things that everybody always wants to you know put out in front as, as being these huge issues it's a very complicated and, and uh, uh, difficult um, issue and I know that everybody of course would like the state to be able to pay for all of the education but then where does the money come from and nobody wants to raise the taxes so if you right. want lower property lower property taxes the funding has to come from somewhere else. So uh, what what is your idea or what is your thought, for example, about a, a flat tax or a consumption tax, anything like that? Are those the kinds of things you've thought about? Um, I don't I don't know if I let I I'll have to do more research about that. It just seems like that's a, an easy answer for a complicated question if that makes sense um, and, and not necessarily the best answer. Um, I do agree that property taxes are outrageous. I also agree that we should not be funding our schools so heavily based off of property taxes because that has ensured that a lot of our public schools are inequitably funded. Schools in the more uh, wealthy uh, 
property areas are funded better than the schools in the poor poor parts of town. And I believe that every kid should get the same value and quality of education, no matter what what neighborhood they get born into. So, um, yeah, finding ways to to fund it not so heavily on property taxes. Um, the state needs to uh, start pitching in their fair share because um, you know the state. We are 49th in state funding for education, and yet somehow our schools are still um, in the top 10 in quality of education. So, you know, God bless our teachers. They're doing, they're giving us a lot of bang for our buck, but uh, we, yeah, the state needs to to help out the municipalities better and, and you know, fully fund their, their part of that TIOSA formula. Um, but then in addition to that, there uh, was, um, it is still there's a proposed solar farm to go in 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 the Cass County part of my district outside of a little town called Murray where I used to live. Um, the the landowners and the power company are in agreement and everybody's this is all great but then there got to be some public outcry because of I don't know what. Um, but that would have provided eight hundred thousand dollars a year to the Conestoga School District, which is like a hundred percent of their annual budget. Um, and that would have come from this this uh, power company and not off the backs of the people that live in the district. So, um, yeah, finding more opportunities like that where we can get revenue um, from places that, that don't come from the working people, um, but then benefit the working people. I think that that's, that's where we need to put our focus. So within, within our conversation that Lynn and I have on air, off air, we have to talk about housing, just as a big issue. Um, in a, so there's a uh, you know it's always a flashpoint of you know the um, a term affordable housing or affordable and available housing, and, and and a lot of our state laws and our enabling laws allow communities to do different things that allow us to either create or rehab existing housing. One of those ideas is micro TIF, but right now. No, I won't expect you know what micro tip is, but if you do, would you know what micro tip is? Just want to give that question to you. I don't think so. Oh, that's okay. Uh, it's it's basically just allowing a, um, a homeowner to uh, access another financing tool to then rehab their home, just like a larger developer has, but for a okay. much for a smaller of a cost. Right oh, that's now, great. that's not that's not allowed in counties with more than hundred thousand people. Do you think oh. that? more tools and more tools of that nature should be allowed by the state to local municipalities to create solutions that are unique to their own situations. Absolutely. And yeah, so like I said, when I did um, AmeriCorps, I, I built and rehabbed houses in North Omaha for Habitat for Humanity. And that was such a, yeah, it's, you know, being able to revitalize existing homes and structures rather than just building new all the time is way more you know sustainable and good for good for the earth and, and good for the economy um so i think yeah any ways that we can um help folks be able to do that themselves that would be really wonderful um i also take issue with um that problem that happened earlier this year where some out-of-state company from i don't was it like ohio came in and bought all those uh houses in north omaha that now um, there's no homes that, for sale there for people that have lived there forever. This company, whatever it's called, is now the third largest landlord in Omaha. Um, 
and then they came in and they raised the rent on people that had lived in these houses for years and years and years. So now these people have to find new places to live. And I think that um, we need to look into doing something to keep, keep, you know, our communities viable within themselves and not get controlled by out-of-state interests. Um, I think that that's really sad. I, I read a lot of articles about people that got displaced out of their homes um, because of this happening, and it, it just really made my stomach hurt, you know, thinking yeah. about it. Well, I, Sarah, I think so we, we only talk have... a lot about market forces at another time, but Lynn. Yeah, yeah, Sarah, we're, we're reaching the end of the show here, but we want to give you an opportunity to tell people how they can contact you if they're interested in your campaign. Oh, sure. So, um, okay, so I am the hashtag lunch lady for legislature. So you can look that hashtag up on any of the social media platforms and you'll find my posts. Um, my website is slatteryforlegislature.com, S-L-A-T-T-E-R-Y. And then from there, you can also link to all my socials. You can email me from there. There's uh, all kinds of, you can read about me. You can listen to my different interviews and read different articles and all of that kind of stuff. So. Well, very good. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for coming on. Good luck with your campaign. We want to thank our listeners for spending another half hour with Kurt and me here on the show. We'll see you next week. Thanks.